Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you're listening to episode 34 of Talking About Immersive Theatre, or Tate for short, which is T-A-I-T, not to be confused with a very famous art gallery. So in this episode, I am really excited to be talking to all of the founding members of the Immersive Experience Network. I'm actually even more excited because I think what it is going to do is give you an idea as to why I have been so busy and just not able to produce um, episodes as regularly as I used to. So I'm really hoping it gives you an insight into all of the things that I keep alluding to that have been going on in the background. Finally, I'm able to share them with you and talk about some of the exciting things that we have on the horizon, on the imminent horizon, coming hurtling indeed towards us at quite a speed. Um, What I want to do as well is make sure that you can access all of the supporting information that surrounds the conversation that you're about to hear. So you can find out a bit more about the Immersive Experience Network at our website, which is immersiveexperience.network. You can also find us on Facebook if you look for the Immersive Experience Network, (laughs) which is fairly pretty much what it says on the tin. Then if you go on to Twitter, our Twitter handle is at Immersive E-X-P-N-E-T. The E is capitalized and the N is capitalized. And then finally, (laughs) if you are someone who likes to get on the gram, you can find us on there. And our handle on Instagram is Immersive Experience Net, all one word. So you should be able to find us across all of those different platforms If all else fails, a quick Google search should bring us up at the top (laughs) of your Google search and you should be able to find us that way as well. Right. That's all of our socials. So you can you can get into all of that. But actually, the best thing to do is probably just to listen to us all having a chat about what it is, what we're doing and what our immediate plans are. So have at it. Hello and uh, welcome. So I am here at the fabulous Crypt uh, with the core team of the Immersive Experience Network. And so I'm going to go around the room and get everyone who is here to introduce themselves. I'm going to start with Nicole, who is sat next to me. Hello, uh, I'm Nicole. I have been a project manager working on birthing the IEM (laughs) uh, for the last six months. Um, Yeah, and that's me. (laughs) Um, I'm Andy Barnes, Um, I'm the director of Entourage, who are a production agency who do a lot of immersive work. I'm Sheena, I'm an experienced designer and a creative producer. I work on uh, location-based experiences for both original and established IP, and I also support a lot of agencies with brand work. Lovely. And I'm Owen Kingston, and I'm the artistic director of Parabolic Theatre. And we're in your venue. Yes, we're in the crypt currently. We absolutely yeah. have to say that. And it's exactly yeah. everything you would expect from an immersive venue. We're underground, <laughs> there's no natural light, and we have that glorious smell of days of old. <laughs> and we're actually all sat in sort of vintage furniture. So again, a real joy to be in an immersive space having discussions about all things pretty much immersive. Okay, so this episode is slightly different to usual because actually what we're talking about is this sort of project and entity that we've all been sort of beavering away for um, on the last year to to bring into being, as Nicole said. 
um, rather than about practice per se. But we're hoping that all of our endeavours and everything that we're working on will actually impact on lots of different parts of creative practice uh, moving forwards. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, what is the Immersive Experience Network, or as everyone is calling us, IM? It's a good question, really. It's, it's, it's an evolving thing, I think, which is the really uh, mm -hmm. sort of key thing to say. We, we sort of started it as um, sort of post-pandemic. A few of us uh, sort of in this room sort of came together and realised that we, had, we were having the same thoughts about the need for there to be a, a collaborative community within the live immersive uh, sort of world um, to try and support new work because there's some mm -hmm. mass, you know, people ha were having this, finding the same barriers to creating work as one another and it felt like together we could help solve those um, in a more sort of constructive way than if we were all trying to do it by ourselves. Um, so from that sort of initial conversations, um, uh, we started to develop uh, trying to find out sort of what the solutions might be and trying to investigate and kind of what that looked like in the community. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting that you say that as well, because I've been trying to put together, from a slightly more academic perspective, a network for immersive scholarship for about 10 years, and I've tried from all different directions, and then it was kind of that conversation that we had, was it sort of this time last year? Some of that, yeah. Yeah, That's so it, it doesn't yeah. feel like that long ago, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But So we've done loads, which we'll talk about in a bit um, since then, but never quite finding... The right way to make that happen and then after we had that discussion and realized actually there was a lot of things that we were trying to do and then with Sheena as well that we were all trying to achieve because actually we keep talking about it as a sector but at the moment immersive work is so broad live immersive work spans so many different kinds of work that it's not wasn't being recognized and isn't being recognized as a sector and I think that's part of the work that we want to do isn't it is to sort of bring that visibility and some of that credibility to the work that's already happening but in such a dispersed way it's difficult at the moment to recognize it sort of for the sector that it actually is yeah and that's one of the first things we did wasn't it was sort of time to take that step back and kind of go well what is what is immersive because it is you know mm -hmm. i mean that one is going to a very long podcast now uh -huh. about, about that you know the terminology is important but that term gets attributed to so much stuff yeah so actually we went you know the first thing you need to do is to go back and look at people who are already doing this and yeah. it was the guys out in the states at no Proceemium and question reality who yeah. were creating their industry um immersive industry reports in 2000 uh, 18 and 2019 mm -hmm. and within those reports they started to sort of pull in those, those genres of, of immersive yeah. experience, which, you know, involves uh, sort of theatre, LARP, art, um, AR, VR experiences, location-based experiences. Scare. Scare attractions, um, uh, ARGs, escape games. Heritage. Exactly, you know, yeah. this whole sort of uh, interactive and immersive sort of sphere. And so actually we used that as a starting point, didn't we, to kind mm. of go, actually yeah. all these things are... Uh, even though they might be slightly different, share the same DNA. Yes. And so much of it as well, you know, so much of creating great escape room is creating great theatre. Yeah, of course. And so much of creating, you know, great art involves, you know, delving into, like, tech and AR and VR mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, so it's nice to sort of look at the community as a whole and kind of go, well, how can we start to bring these people, these different genres together and start to sort of see what we've got in common and what can we do to sort of further the cause of immersive and interactive entertainment across the UK. Yeah, 
And that's been one of the really interesting things, I think, as well, with Sheena, because I've been having conversations with Owen, as uh, my listeners will know, because, Owen, I think you're a veteran of tech now. (laughs) (laughs) You've been on so many times. It's great. But Owen and I come from a really theatre, a kind of theatre place, and so our understanding of immersive comes out of that, and it's been really useful to start to to recognise some of those DNA, some of that terminology, some of those creative practices that seem to rest at the heart of all of these different kind of disciplines that are mm. doing very similar things mm. and um that's been one of the big challenges really isn't it is recognizing how, how to draw the line with what we mm. because like you said immersive is being attached to everything mm. i mean even our immersive reader for looking at assessed work now is called an immersive reader at work it's not an immersive reader yeah as a <laughs> Uh, I was using a hot desk space in a nurse in a university that specialises in nursing the other day down in Croydon, mm-hmm. um, and I walked past this um, this door which said uh, immersive learning area, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, that sounds interesting. I wonder what's in there." Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a it was a um, it was a mock hospital ward. Oh wow! With, oh, with, yes. with, with sort of like dummies. So and a simulation. Because we have yeah. big simulation suites at Birmingham yeah. as well, yeah. um, and they're very interesting. Yeah. Spaces. That's a whole different conversation, yes. for sure. I think what's really interesting about the the fact that the, yes, there are all these really disparate sectors, and they all have commonality. But <coughs> one of the key commonalities is um, the challenges we face. So, yes. you know, without having to be really granular and defining what is immersive at the moment, it really is a little bit. This is a space for people that identify as immersive and yes. are falling through the gaps when it comes to mm. justifying funding. Grant mm-hmm. funding uh, does not recognise immersive work if you want to go for more traditional investment we're lacking valuable data sets and market research that demonstrate the value of the industry and just access to knowledge and resource beyond you know working like startups where you don't necessarily have the budgets to have the team you'd like or you don't know where to find them and I think it's actually all of the things that we are struggling to source also is what defines us as an industry as well. Yes. And brings us together. Yes. I think you And each of those individual... Every company that's using the word immersive in some way is coming from uh, a core industry that they're usually on the fringe of mm-hmm. and that they've, they've got the baggage that they're carrying from that industry, some of which is useful and some of which isn't. Yeah. So, you know, speaking from a theatre point of view, there's a lot of... Uh, theatre practice which translates very well into the immersive sector but there's some that doesn't translate at all and that we've just sort of held on to because that's where we've come from and it's often easier to recognise that in other adjacent industries than it is in your own so if you're you know if you're a escape room maker and you're you're pushing into that area of using actors a lot and you've you may be the, it's it's sort of like an escape room you're not trying to escape anything and it's a different vibe and it's trying to tell a story and you're on, on the fringe of the escape room thing but you've carried a lot of the baggage of escape rooms mm-hmm. with you um, but some of that baggage is really useful and it's useful to me as a theatre maker and I might not be aware of it some of my baggage is useful to you maybe but a lot of the baggage is not useful and it just needs no. to be dropped and left behind mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think Sheena hit the nail on the head there and this is one of the one of the real things I think that accelerated IEM coming into being is that slipping through the gaps so regardless of sort of the creative practice that underpins the idea of immersive you're exactly right it's all of those challenges and the lack of recognition and the lack of credibility and visibility because of not having a recognisable data set because of not having being recognised by all of the infrastructure that exists within those different creative disciplines. Because like you said, Owen, 
a lot of people who are working in immersive are on the fringes of those separate disciplines. Mm. And so by connecting it all under live immersive, we can start to build something that's concrete and something that can start to demonstrate some of those key challenges or start to plug the gaps or offer resource for some of those things. So it's not about homogenizing all of those different disciplinary creative practices, but actually it's about giving us a touchstone that's useful and can start to build or offer infrastructure for a lot of these practices that are, because they're cutting edge in reality, sitting on the fringes of all of the different It's like the early days of cinema. Areas. You know, yeah, when, when exactly cinema that. was first a thing, you had a lot of people coming from the theatre world, bringing mm-hmm. both helpful and unhelpful mm-hmm. practice. <laughs> a lot of people coming from the photography world, bringing unhelpful and helpful practice. Yeah. You know, and all the other attendant things that, that, that were involved with that. And you had to, people had to learn to keep the best stuff and develop the new things they needed that they didn't already have yes. uh, to plug the gaps. And it's actually a really exciting time. This is a time mm. for so much opportunity. I was actually watching the, um, the Imagineering documentary on Disney the other day, and it mm. was just like a bunch of gung-ho mavericks who were like really good in these like very specific disciplines Mm. but they all had the willingness to come together and try things for the first time and I think we've got a really good opportunity here and Mm -hmm. really all that's missing is a place um, inwardly facing for that to sort of create that little crucible but also outwardly facing to formally represent anyone that identifies as an immersive practitioner to then help us you know find a gateway to the money yes to the recognition to the venues and and bridge Mm. the two but also because we're still small it's one of the really big concerns as well as roots in i mean i've been a conduit for students to access because people students ask me all the time how do i get into immersive and i'm like oh i can put you in touch with so and so that's not a sustainable way forward and it's like this in all of these different Mm -hmm. sort of discipline areas there's lots of people who are who are opening doors for emerging practitioners but that's not a sustainable future for roots into something for it to build its future practice and so that's again something important i think that we're hoping to address yeah because it's, it's a really it's it's a very hard sector to get into because there's, there's mm. not the established pathways of education and ways to learn and, and apprenticeship mm. yeah um yeah. and you know and, and i've got this uh so, so we do a lot of site-specific immersive work and we sort of um across all different sort of things right from the you know massive scale sort of secret cinema sort of stuff right through to the smaller stuff um and the one thing i you know often say to people is that you know no one went to drama school to learn about building regulations no. but actually that's such a key part of um <laughs> yes. of creating on-site site work because actually it gives you all the sort of framework you need to work in in terms of to make sure that you can actually open your 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 event and sort mm. of how you budget it and all this i mean um yeah i mean a favorite thing around all the most creators is to swap horror stories of venues they've had to try and set up and the challenges of, of doing that um but that's not you, you can't do a course for that you, at the moment you can't yeah. do a thing so you need so we need to have some sort of way of people who want to create this work um something they can learn from some resources that they, they can read and opportunities to work on things in, in like apprenticeships and yeah. and trainees sort of side of things to come see sort of how, how that sort of thing is created you know how does how, how does someone like um parabolic take a disused crypt underneath the church and and turn it into this sort of magic playground of yeah. of uh, you know immersive gaming and you know and interactive experiences it's it, it takes a lot to do that well we realized didn't we when we had those conversations that initial conversation then we brought sheena in 
and I've been having conversations with makers in immersive theatre, obviously for years through through Tate, and tell let's tell people about where those conversations are because all these conversations were happening it seems it turns out as we now know from speaking to lots of people between lots of different people and across all of the different disciplines but where did IEN's journey sort of really begin where did we take these questions and all of these discussions of we need this and we need that and these are our challenges and how do we do this what what ignited that kind of moment for IEN to come out of um, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think I'd, over, for me personally, I'd over over COVID, um, we were like everyone else, sort of you know frantically spinning our wheels, trying to think of fun things to do mm-hmm. and ways to, you know, keep going and do stuff. Um, and out of that, this came these these barriers of uh, when you go out to try and find someone to invest in something or fund something or support something or even like third third sector funding, um, having to explain to them what it is. And, and, and they're not being that sort of recognition and not having a data set to kind of go, mm. no, 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 look, this is, this, this is, a, this is a growing sector. This mm. is, you know, lo- lots of people go to these things. Mm-hmm. Look, you know, I, I, I haven't got anything. I can't, t- I, can't, I can't prove it. I can't prove it. <laughs> that's trust honest. Me, guys. But tr- trust me, guys. Trust me, Yeah, And like so many startup pitches, the I trust me line just didn't quite land. <laughs> um, um, so for me, it was, it, was, it was starting to look at how, how can we start to build um, the data sets and, you know, like, publicly um, have available the, the sort of data and sort of information that's going to help people to build these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where we sort of, you know, got a long, long touch machine about this, so sort of, you know, Zooms and that sort of side of things. And um, and Nicole, when she started with us as well, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of that same sort of idea. And then sort of spoke to you and realised that you and I were having very similar conversations mm-hmm. yeah. and, and that co- those conversations actually about the importance of community yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the gunpowder plot was, yeah. you know, it was a historically was a fantastic resource for the yes, sector and was yes. actually so important in its development in terms yeah. of where it is now, where the makers are now. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that couldn't continue for whatever reason. So actually looking to how can we fill that gap and how can we sort of fill those needs that are yeah. still there. It's just there's no one looking after them. And we tested that um, around Christmas. We had, our, we had an, an event, didn't we, where we invited lots of stakeholders from across different parts of those different sort of sectors say sectors creative communities and creative disciplines um into a room to find out about those aches and pains and the barriers mm. and it's the feedback we got from that christmas event we had mince pies and everything from m s no less which was, was, I know. was just before another sort of covid crisis yeah yeah, yeah. Was yeah. Right at all, yeah. All the time but the turnout was still excellent mm. um in person and also online and it was really nice that there were people from across the spe- spectrum of scale mm. of work yes. that came, which is something that, um, you know, the, as good as the gunpowder prop was, it never quite achieved. Br- no, it was very similar. Scale. It was all, all similar, similar size yeah. um, companies and groups that were meeting. Uh, and that particularly excited me. I think it made me feel like there was something here that really could start mm. to make a big difference. I'd never seen that breadth of scale of company or mode of approach Mm. in the same room together Mm. before and so Mm. for me that really brought it home uh, the 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 absolute need for some of the things that we're trying to do and that that seems has been echoed back to us in all the different ways that we've reached out to the community we've been gathering some data we've been holding events um, and we'll talk about the summit next but um all of these concerns and all of these 
inklings that, that we've all had and we were building discussions have now been reflected back to us that there is need, mm. I think. So should we move on a little bit to talk about yeah. the summit that we did in May? Which feels like a really long time ago now. Yeah, it it really wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> Just before the summit, about mm. like the sort of a little interim thing that came off the back of the Christmas event and speaking to people of scale, one of the big concerns I had with trying to start something like this is are we going to be able to be something for everyone mm. um and and you know really trying to manage that responsibly and transparently and putting our hands up and going look guys we're still figuring it out as yes. well <laughs> but one thing that was really interesting is that you know irrespective of scale there were a few mutual challenges that floated to the surface across all of them. Yes. And I think that ended up being our sort of like foundation for what we want IEN to really represent. And it's addressing the challenges that seem to be quite agnostic, yes. which then led us um, to yes. sort of start showcasing the, the, the areas we want to cover off in the summit. Yes. So the summit happened on 30... 31st of May? Was it 30th of May? Let's, let's, let's say that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it's the end of May this year. And it happened in um, a venue that is probably close to a lot of people's hearts, which is the Vaults um, yeah. here in London. And we had an extraordinary turnout of different speakers, um, again, from across the whole spectrum of different kinds of work. And also a really broad spectrum of people uh, in the audience as well and we also could have had a lot more people in the room because we just underestimated it would seem desire need and capacity <laughs> yeah. but we wanted to start cautiously and we needed to start cautiously but it's turned out that the summit was was a really wonderful opportunity to get all of those different voices all of those different perspectives in those rooms to address some of those key agnostic challenges that seem to be facing everyone and we got a lot of useful um, aspects out out of the summit, yes. and that's kind of how I feel about the summit. Yeah, I mean, it was a great place to hold it as well because Vaults mm. is not only is it very well known, but it's also one of the few immersive, friendly receiving venues that's sort of truly independent yes. of any immersive companies, yes. uh, and has a great pedigree within immersive uh, performance because mm -hmm. obviously it was first sort of discovered and used for that purpose mm -hmm. back in the day, and it was really lovely having. Hamish there at the event who'd been mm. integral in opening up yeah, that space in the first place to, the public, to then yeah. sort of return to it. That was really lovely. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it felt like a really good place to kick something like that off, mm -hmm. um, and to have such a broad range of people there and mm. broad range of topics. I think we were, we were quite intentional about trying to include as many voices as possible yeah. from as many different disciplines as possible uh, and try and encompass. Uh, yeah, because a lot still a lot of these companies are very strongly male led. Mm -hmm. So to try and make sure that we were, you know, it was, it was gender inclusive uh, and ethnicity inclusive, and we, we, there was a lot of effort gone to to try and make sure that mm -hmm. people who were very new to to, to the, the industry were being represented and speaking, as well as people who'd been around for donkey's years. Um, and so that breadth was 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 a, a, an important thing to mm -hmm. showcase. Yeah. And we learn a lot, and I think yeah. you know the, the, the whole the whole way we've approached this from the beginning is very much like a like a lean startup. Yeah. Mm. Basically, you know, you think you've you, you see a problem, you think you've got a solution, you find the easiest and quickest way to test the solution, and if it works, you do more of it. Yes. And and this is this was very much like you know 
the approach that we've been taking all this all the way through this is yeah. trying to find like you know the the minimum viable way of um, testing something, yeah. and then working out what to do from that point, sort of pivot onwards. And we, you know, we learned a lot about putting on an event and <laughs> yeah. a lot about how to try and shape the content of that event mm-hmm. um and some of it went really really well it was brilliant yeah. um so some of it didn't land quite so well but there was still good conversation in the room um and yeah and, and the feedback we got from that was great i mean I, one of the things we did we did afterwards was do a big data collection piece of work mm-hmm. um which is what nicole bless her yeah it's like <laughs> her head was in it for like two weeks afterwards yeah. uh-huh. um and what the, and some stuff that you found out from that i mean the, the response was positive wasn't it in terms of what we were trying to solve and the bits and the the things that people were finding that were most resonating with them yeah and it was interesting because forming the summit that happened in may came off the back of seeing what people had said in the meeting at christmas mm-hmm. and and noticing all of these common feelings that we didn't know if those people had talked about with each other mm-hmm. and giving them a space where we could say sort of, you know, now now say it in front of everyone and, mm-hmm. and watch everyone nod and say, actually, yeah, I, I completely agree with it and I'd, I'd never heard it from that person before. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the reason why, you know, at the summit we themed the sessions to look at those challenges and then we also had a cross-genre, cross-practice session where people were kind of comparing their own approaches to the practice and seeing what those had in common and it meant that when we looked at the data afterwards a lot of the feedback said it was it it was amazing to see such a wide net cast and and give that space for people to you know open those conversations and then continue those conversations with each other and make those comparisons between themselves so i think you know one of the things that came out of the summit was how can we now take that massive chunk of information and continue to hone it the same way we had gone from December to May, now going from May onwards, and, and you know, with that feedback, what then happens next? Because mm-hmm. also that goodwill as well, one of, the, one of the best things about it, and, you know, we should probably not talk too much about something that people can't go to again, because it's happened fast. <laughs> um, you, you missed out if you weren't there. Sorry. It's what we're trying to say, is the summary yeah. of the last... Um, but, but one of the... Um, one like of, Woodstock. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. So you went there, you yeah. just went there. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what was... Uh, one, for me, one of the most encouraging things was the spirit to which everyone turned up to it at. Because mm-hmm. we had, you know, people who, you know, sort of producers who create some of the, in, you know, from an outside point of view, some of the biggest pieces of immersive work out there, which is the sort of stuff that goes global and yeah. you know, things, right through to makers who were making, at the very start of their careers, you know, students who would, had been doing some fringe stuff in in a, you know, underneath the pub in the corner of their venue in the corner of their town and we're just really interested in doing the you know the next thing but people were coming to it with this spirit of well well i've got my company i'm doing my thing but i'm, I'm open to helping other people mm. and I'm, I'm and i'm open to um being in a room with people who technically you know it's a competitor if you look at that but we understand that if we work together we can to grow the sector then actually all we're doing is growing audiences for everyone. Yes, and because that's yes. a lovely sort of understanding that bubbled up yeah. throughout yes. the day yeah. was that, you know, we it is easy to think of each other as competitors, but actually we're not really. We are growing an ecosystem that yes. we can all exist in and, and hopefully thrive in. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of different branches and parts of that, and they are complementary. They don't mm-hmm. all have to look the same. 
Uh, inevitably, when you're in a situation like that with a lot of disparate voices, it's a bit like, you know, getting a Coke bottle and giving it a good shake and putting the top off. (laughs) And so that was, there was a lot of exciting conversation that came out of that day, particularly in the pub afterwards, and people Mm who were in the room with people who they probably would never have been in a room with before, may never be in a room with again. Well, hopefully they will after Mm. that. I think that's that's, that's my hope for the legacy of it. Well, that's what really struck me, actually, was the generosity of spirit that everyone came to that knowing there was a real sense of understanding that we're stronger and better together Mm. and that the more that we share knowledge exchange the more that we share resources the better quality everyone's work becomes Mm. and that can only push push everyone forward and raise visibility for everyone Mm. and i was pleased there was there was space for a healthy degree of frankness as well because uh, somebody had said to me uh i think before the event you know it'd be a bit of a shame if all this is is once a year we all come together and be very polite to each other for for 24 hours and then go our separate ways and bitch about each other again and inevitably in an industry you get people who distrust or dislike what other parts of the industry are doing but and some of that spilt over during the day as well Mm -hmm. but I also think in a way that perhaps may not have been consciously recognised by some groups before, and that's quite helpful. Yes. To know what yeah. other people are thinking about your work and to be able to say what you think about other people's work, honestly, if we can create some space for that, obviously yeah. you don't want to kill a community stone dead by everybody just slinging mud at each other. No, of course not. That's not helpful. But healthy tension and friction and an understanding of perspectives that aren't yours, I think, is a useful thing mm. to have to a certain but Probably again we learn that, a lot about yeah, curating yeah that how you create that becomes important and yeah. i think yeah if look, going forward we've got a, a iem if it's going to host events we've got to have a responsibility to look after people at those events but yes. um but it's also important that some of that stuff is aired so that as an industry we can all be aware of it yeah. and take steps to address it where it needs addressing So I think irrespective of all of the healthy differences of opinions and people's motivation for making the work that they did, one thing that the summit really crystallised to us that there were probably three, three and a half common challenges faced by practitioners of different categories and scales across the Mm -hmm. board. Um, Those were access to finance, be it grants or or funding or Mm. investment. Um, how to go about receiving it or how to actually demonstrate the value of the industry in order to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Access to resource and education. So really having a place, a network and a community to go to to find people um, with skills that your specific project may need. So maybe that is a creative technologist that understands how to work in games engines, but you're a scare attraction wouldn't know the first place to go Mm -hmm. or a lighting designer um, and you usually work in escape games and it's never really been a priority education being even for the largest makers down to the smallest like can we get cheat sheets on health and safety and checklists when we're looking at new buildings um, and really like save ourselves some time and negotiation knowing from dot day whether it's viable or not. Well they're not secrets are they because there's lots of areas which are secrets and fair enough hold those practices to your heart absolutely but like you were saying Andy learning about fire regulations on a site how do you go about making sure the toilets are there and safe all of those kind of things that are not secrets seems nuts to have everyone 
sort of beavering away doing the same work when those things could absolutely I think it's be just shared. like knowledge sharing as it's done in every other industry consultants yeah. still are very generous with the knowledge that they share and it doesn't it yeah. doesn't mean that they're out of a job no, you know no. it's 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 kind of lifting the community with you mm-hmm. and enabling people to be a little bit more sustainable and when they are working with tight pots m- ensuring that they're then able to use them in a better way mm-hmm. i think the final challenge um that again across the board was access to venues and how we start closing the gap between the expectations of landlords and what is actually feasible in mm-hmm. an operating budget mm-hmm. and you know that that's going to require some lobbying um yes. but i think you know taking that feedback uh has helped us crystallize where we feel we should be focusing attention next to best serve the needs of the community as it stands. Mm-hmm. So Andy, what, so there are several different aspects of what IEN is and what IEN will do. So between us, can we sort of clarify for everyone listening, kind of what do we see IEN as? And what are we gonna do? <laughs> uh, how how are we gonna meet how are we gonna meet those challenges that we're looking to? Yeah. Um, so I think um, one of the things we have we have said is that I don't think we are necessarily uh, wanting to be a standards body. No. And we don't want to. And, and the other thing we're really keen on is that we're not going to try and replace someone else who's already doing something, mm. who's already mm. doing something adjacent to this or, or something similar. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like an empire building where you know we want to build, you know, this this big thing. If people are already working in, in a sector in a genre and doing some amazing work, then great. Our question is, how can we partner with you to to great expand this? And likewise with with the people who do do the um, standard setting, um, you know, in this in the sector through from the you know, HSE through to equity through to you know yeah. like the digital side of things. Um, how can, how can we better inform your mm-hmm. your existing stuff to make so you can make them better and more relevant to what the people who are making most of work are doing? Yeah. And how can we sort of you know help support that? Um, so we're not that, but I think we're. I think what we are wanting to move towards is being a collaborative community, mm-hmm. and the, that being. Not only like an an, an online um, community base, we want to be able to sort of give people the opportunity to uh, find each other, collaborate, talk about stuff. Um, you know, again, one of these spotlight, for example, does not have an immersive category. No. And you know, a great example of yeah, you know, that's not serving this community. So what can we do to help sort of people find um, uh, people who do do immersive immersive work and sort of see their portfolios and yeah. see their work and sort of see if they're the sort of person that could help solve a problem for them. Well, again, across the board, a lot of it's quite hidden and quite secret unless you're in the community and you're in the know. So again, it's it's making that talent, that resource, visible and accessible to to all the different breadth of, of size of people making the work. Is that you know where do you go to exactly like you were talking about? You know where do you go to find immersive yeah. actors? Where do you go? Yeah, because to because find a because so much of the work at the moment is 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 built uh, from the cliques and circles yeah, of, course, of, yeah. of some of the main makers and, and we're never going to make a more diverse and equitable uh, sort of sector and both people making the work unless you can really give some pathways to people in and, and sort of kind of find out how to best discover yeah. and build those relationships um, so we want to do that and then the extension of that is we want to, is we want to start doing some more in-person events mm-hmm. so the 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 summit um, in May was brilliant we learned a lot from that both from the curation the content but also just from the practicalities mm-hmm. um, and you know f- 
full disclosure, we thought the next step on that would be to do a, an even bigger one. Yes. You yeah. know, n- n- next Absolutely, year, you know, yeah. one or two days and, and start to really build something which is like, you know, this international conference sort of, you know, landmark in the, in the schedule. Um, but we, you know, approached it like a, like a startup. We explored that, we dug into it and actually we realised that not only was that um, economically going to be very difficult to do, but also mm. that wasn't necessarily actually going to meet the needs of the community that we were trying to fill. Because yeah. actually, it goes back to what I was saying earlier on, it's doing it once a year actually potentially is not that useful to people. No. Um, so actually, instead of that, we're going to try um, and start to set up what we're calling um, our Immersive Creator Huddles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to try and start that as a monthly event, um, which will start in London. We want to start doing the occasional one sort of outside of, out, out in the country. Um, and we want to try and fund it so that we can also record all the content that we do there. So we can make sure we can distribute that to people who can't make it yeah. and who aren't available on that date in that location and try and start to make that knowledge a lot more accessible um, to, pe- to people out there. Um, so the community side of things is really important when we're going to get into that. Um, the other thing we're diving into uh, is the research side, which I know that you and Nicole are sort of deep into, aren't you? So yes, we are. <laughs> do, you to, do you want to talk a little bit about what the, some, some of that? is looking like yeah i guess the, the it's it's looking at the two perspectives on the same thing there's supporting the makers inside the sector and then there's also providing something to everyone who's looking through the window at what the immersive sector is becoming yes um and what iem will hopefully be able to do is be this a central resource that champions the sector and gives them the tools to then go and talk to people like funders, venue owners, um, press and media with more of like a statistical data-driven foundation for what they're saying, which is the language that a lot of those other those other places use. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the course of, you know, the next chapter of IEN, there will hopefully be a, a few different types of research and lenses that we'll look through but the earliest one is going straight to the makers inside the sector and continuing the discussions that were started around this time last year went through the feedback that we got off the back of the summit and now looking in a bit finer detail at not just the challenges they face which is kind of what we've investigated so far but also the solutions that they've already found Mm -hmm. and how they actually are applying those solutions to things like, um, you know, achieving economic stability as a company, increasing diversity, what, you know, how we overcome the barriers to entry and all of those sort of more nitty gritty parts of Mm -hmm. what it is to make something immersive, to produce something immersive, to, to, you know, build a relationship with an audience or with, with, um, performers or with other creators and some of the key data points that we want to try and pull out of some of this research is things like um arguably the immersive and interactive entertainment sector has been the largest fastest growing creative sector in the uk over the last sort of five ten years yeah. i mean if you look at the amount of and especially now post covid with the whole mm. placemaking question and all the stuff that's being written about how retail is changing and how mm. that's becoming much more experiential and the yeah. high street is all about experiences and yeah. that's where you're seeing all of the you know new escape rooms turning up and the new sort of um other sort of things like that arguably that's that's 
if we are the fastest growing creative sector in the UK, we want the data to support that. So we, we can need start, to evidence. So we can start. So we so we yes. can start kind of kind of saying to people, well, look, you need to support this. Mm. Yes. You know, this is this this is where we need government funding for the sector. So, so, well, we so, can advocate and lobby, but we can only really advocate and lobby with that those hard data sets. And it's yeah. great that Nicrosinium has begun that work over in the US. But here, again, we have such a vast array of different kinds of work that they really slip between the gaps of all of the cultural data that's been collected until now. And so we're lacking that data. And again, it's from both sides of things. So for makers to be able to make the case to investors. And also, traditionally, the Arts Council has completely sort of ignored live immersive practices mm. because the, there's there's no proof yeah. or there's no data. Mm. Uh, and again, here's, here's, here's an interesting sort of supposition. If... Um, if the, if the if the if the immersive and interactive entertainment sector is is that fastest growing thing, mm. then look at the amount of audiences who are going to it, yes. and look at the size of those audiences. Now, so much talk has been in the last you know five ten years decade of wanting to put arts funding into for putting art into audiences who, who don't normally part of the sector. Who don't normally go, which is our audience. And, and it's like yeah, it's, 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 well look look at look at the demographic of the audiences who come to the most experience. Yes. You know how many of these people also go to theatre shows? No, oh, not many of them. Not many. Um, no. and, and immersive art as well. I had some great conversation the other day with one of the um, immersive art creators, one of the big London venues, and they were saying, you know, a fraction of the people who go to their shows go to art galleries. Mm. But yeah, it's still art. Mm. Yes. In fact, actually, in some ways, it's it's a massive version. Well, of heritage, heritage has had huge success engaging their hard to reach audiences through immersive experience, yeah. getting people on site who would never normally come onto those spaces and. But at the moment, you can talk to everyone, like we have been doing across the Christmas events, across the surveys that we've done at the summit. Everyone is saying these same things. What we don't have are those hard empirical data sets to be able to provide the evidence to the different funding bodies, to policy, to government, to be able to start to make sure that some of this infrastructure is built, but also to recognise already the hugely valuable contribution that we make to the economy. And so... Nicole and I, and we're going to be bringing in various other partners over the next probably year or so, are trying to build some of those data sets so that we can share them with the community for them to use as a tool to do some of that work that they need to do to, to show their credibility, to show those things. But also we can start to create reports, white papers, where we can advocate for the sector with that empirical evidence and then those can be used for lobbying yes. to get changes to policy. Uh, and it's only when you start digging into that and mm. really researching those things that, that some incredible facts and data comes out. Yes. I remember a few years ago there was a piece of work done on a comparison between uh, the financial success of theatre and the financial success of football. Mm. And it proved that at every, le- at every level theatre outperformed football. So there were more people in a year that went to West End musicals and it generated more cash than mm-hmm. Premier League football did. Yeah. More well. people went to theatre overall mm-hmm. than they did to football overall in mm-hmm. a year and it generated more cash than yeah. they did. And, and, and but that, that's, that know, goes against the It goes against perception. people's perception, yes. And so that's one of the yes, things actually. that we're doing as well. Is, is It's that credibility through data and empirical yeah. evidence advocating then for the actual contribution and size of the sector and its growth we can recognize patterns Mm -hmm. but also we can raise that public visibility so by creating all of these data sets that can be used by the creative communities we are also then doing exactly what nicole talks about making sure that then 
the people looking through the window, whether that be policymakers or audiences, are starting to get a much keener sense of what it is that we do and the value of what it is that we do. And we're not even going to dig into it because it, it, it's such a contentious of what is immersive. But actually, some of the work that we're doing is going to start to take some of the way in which makers identify themselves and just start to articulate some resources that's audience facing from that data to start to say, if something advertises this, these are some of the things you might expect from this kind of a show. And so again, that empirical data will enable us to generate some of those useful resources, not only for makers, but also for audiences and for building the audiences and reaching different audiences. So there's, at the heart of it, it's data, data, data. We're collecting as much data as we can initially and then we want to do that on a, on a rolling ongoing regular basis so that patterns can start to be established and yeah. we can really start to recognize the trajectory of the sector and all of that insight will then as well hopefully offer some potential solutions for how we might start to meet some of the challenges and the barriers that those that that data will give us so We've been really lucky and we've been given £20,000 through the University of Birmingham from the ARSC um, Impact Accelerator account, it's a real mouthful, <laughs> to start some of that work. We're currently working on two other funding applications to continue building even bigger data sets for that. And so that's basically what Nicole and I are doing at the moment is, is designing lots and lots of surveys, lots and lots of questions, and also writing lots and lots and lots of uh, different forms and funding applications, because that data is going to really support a lot of the things IEN is able to do, I think, moving forward, because it gives us something really concrete and really empirical that we can build upon and mm. that will be useful for the sector, but also useful for people looking through that window at the sector. Yes. And then we can trumpet it from the rooftops. Yes. Because we should. Yes. Um, because then all these things we we, we, know, we know, because we talk about them anecdotally mm. all the time, yes. we will hopefully be able to have some hard have data. Have some hard yeah. data and some graphs and yes. pie charts. Yes. And, and Every <laughs> deck for investment will include them. As, yeah, that's the plan, but anyway. that's what we can do. You know, we, we, can, mm. we can build slides that we can share with the creative community, that they can add into their decks that have all this empirical data yes. in it. Because data is going to be king, I think, for us yeah, it's, well, yeah, moving you, forwards. You hear this from there's an investment fund that's being set up, uh, and, and they were talking about how uh, you know they, they want to get money from very big business, the Goldman yeah. Sachs type people yeah, in the world. Yeah. But those guys want hard data that yeah. they can give to their quant people who can then make an assessment, and, and they haven't got that data. And unless they can get it, that money's forever closed off. So, And yeah. as well as that data, there is going to be a talent gap. When you start to see on LinkedIn that Netflix are building a live experience department, mm. that all of those big players are doing that, they're going to want talent. Mm. And the talent that can do this work and know this work and know audiences and how to engage an audience in a live experience mm. are in the community that we're building. Mm. And at the moment, like you said, we're small mm. and we have these little niche kind of communities. Even the big players are relatively small in the grand scheme of yeah, things. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But they don't have a lot of access yeah. to those communities that have the talent. And again, that's one of the things that we can start to do is by raising the visibility of all of the different 
creatives working in the field so that they can put all of their stuff online, they can show what they've been doing, they can capture all of their work. Yeah. That visibility will then also hopefully stimulate more work as well for everybody. And people in this industry shouldn't be living hand to mouth. No, and they and, are. And they are. So, and the majority are. And, and it was never more evident than during the pandemic mm. when all the work dried up. And trying to access money yeah. that other people were able to access much more easily Mm. Uh, you know, it became like a personal crusade for me to try and get people who I've worked with money to live off mm-hmm. during one of the most horrible times we've seen. And yeah. that's not really over. There's, there's no, a lot of horrible times potentially to Potentially going to get w- yeah. worse. So, so, you know, when you've got all these huge, huge, huge players like you know, the Netflixes of the world mm. who, are, who are looking for the talent to yeah. create these sorts of things, and that talent is struggling to pay the bills every month yeah. if we can stand in the gap yeah. and join, help to join those things together join them together but also make sure that those people get paid their yes. value yes. because at the moment there's no standardised you know you can go to equity if you're an actor yeah. and there's a whole you know if you do fringe it's this much if you do that yeah. and they set these incredible standards so that people get paid fairly yeah. but immersive is such a Again, different it's an, prospect. It's an, an area where things fall between the cracks. Yes, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. I think this segues very nicely into the app. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, that, 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 that's one of the things that we're also looking at trying to do is to um, so, sort of create this online uh, uh, network place where people can go and see each other's profiles, see each other's work, um, find each... Um, find specific things they're looking for, like, you know, if you're a sound designer or if you're looking for a lighting designer... Um, you know, go and find people who have done similar work to this and sort of kind of dig them out. Because again, it's, it's the, the, our, our anecdotal experience is that the creators do sit in a very disparate range of places at the moment for this sort of work. Um, and, it, and again, unless you sort of, you know, if, I, if I'm trying to find a, de, uh, a, a designer for a show, inevitably what you do is you, you go and ask, I'll go and ask Owen and say, you know, do you know any designers? But it's a very mm. small network, it's a very small yeah. circle at the moment. Of course. Um, yeah. And actually, there's some amazing designers out there who would be fantastic to work on some of the shows. I, mm. I, just I and my network don't know them yet. Mm. Yeah. So looking to try and find those. It, it can feel like dead man's boots for people trying to mm. break into yes. that, you know, because there are people who probably get loads of work because they've had a chance to prove themselves. And then there are other people who are going to be every bit as good, but they mm-hmm. haven't quite had that chance yet. They haven't been able to get their foot in the door. Yeah. So if we can enable that. Well, sometimes, especially actually with more corporate events or um, bigger scale events, it's actually quite difficult from the outside to find out sometimes the teams who made those things, mm. which I think, yeah. again, is, is extraordinary. It's part of the white people... label thing sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, just it's, uh, aren't broadcasting the, the wonderful work that they're doing. And so in terms of thinking with my academic head as well, and I, I know I've spoken to you about this mm-hmm. numerous times, and my listeners will have heard me speak to, I've spoken to everyone I've talked to about this, but cultural legacy, mm-hmm. part, of an, part of scholarship's job is to be cultural custodians and to make mm-hmm. sure that certain things are captured um, for future generations to understand and have mm-hmm. insight into. The secrecy and the underground sort of nature of immersive work means that at the moment there's very little that will live on because of course it's about the experiential it's about the experience and then being in the moment but at the moment there's nowhere you can go to to look at any resource from mm. from that which scares me as a cultural custodian because i think mm. in 100 years time are we going to be forgotten because, because we weren't documented yes. Yes. 
because even live art now have done it you know the live art development agency has been around now i think for nearly 20 years mm. and they capture because they have the same issue experiential weird shit that happens in very <laughs> strange places once <laughs> and yeah. two people saw it mm. but they're capturing it and they have an archive so in some ways a membership app does all of that community work does all of that visibility work for putting people in touch with people so they can actually feed themselves but what it also does is creates a cultural body where people can go and see that there is a sector Mm. that there is this kind of portion of cultural activity that's doing something that's connected Mm. even though there's lots of different types of work that might consider themselves Mm. there and so for me that's important too is to start to build that archive and that's the interesting thing, isn't it? You get to do insights at that point. It, it, if you've got enough people to sign up and put in their credits and their sort of mm. portfolios of what they've done. You can see patterns, maps. And you do, and you get to look back and kind of go, well, look, there was the show 10 years ago, mm-hmm. in really in the early days, mm-hmm. and now look at what the makers from that show have gone on to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, 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 what, and what that lineage is, or yes. what the effect of that is. But even where they're coming was. from, and I know yeah. anecdotally, because again, I speak to a lot of makers, so I know that there are little hot spots where people did their undergrads or where they did their MA or, or mm. there was a little art centre that was offering mm. and I can see sort of family trees. Mm. But again, it's anecdotal. It and is, I have yeah. nothing... There's nothing to record that. To record and actually, that. to be able to record it and to be able to analyse that is hugely important. You start yes. to see how these things yeah. organically grow. Um, family trees, histories, yeah. genealogy yeah. Um, is part of what makes something's identity. And if we want... As a, to have us to be a sector mm. and to have an identity moving forward starting to capture and track and trace some of those those lines and those roots i think is is really powerful mm. but also will help us as a sector to be future proof to start to see those patterns so that we can start to make projections we can start to see a map where things you know be speculative speculative design thinking mm. about it of where will the future of this be and then we can preempt barriers and problems and challenges as well by looking at some of this so in some ways the more people that sign up to the app the better because as well as all the research work that Nicole and I are doing that also gives us more data more insights more different kinds of data to be able to look at again it's all about insights it's all about understanding so that we can then give that back to the community in ways that are useful and can be can be applied mm. in practice across lots of different areas and in lots of different ways, mm. which is exciting. But I think as well, one of the things I wanted to sort of uh, point out is that everyone who's sat in this room have their full-time kind of day <laughs> jobs that they do. So we have all been doing this on aside. The, on the side. On yeah. the side. side it's our hobby. As if we didn't have enough half stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the reasons I think after the summit, as hugely successful as it was, is just having to think, okay, how, how can we manage this? How can we be yeah. sustainable? And the reality is, is we have got to that point, I think, where we need the community to sort of step in and help us build the community and build all of these things because we have such limited time and resource now that I think we need the community to come together to help us achieve some of these things, which I think leads us quite nicely into... So I think we've given a good sense of kind of who we are and what we what we would like to do. So I think this might lead us nicely into what our sort of actions, what we're planning on doing sort of very soon. Because <laughs> we have some big plans that are about to be launched. Yeah, so I think... so. The... We've been looking since since the summit. We were sort of punting around and looking for some funding that would basically underwrite 
a lot of this work because you know this is a you know it's, it's a huge job and it needs to be someone's full time job and they need to get paid you know for it not us because we've got no. other things to do but <laughs> someone <jobs>. else yeah <laughs> someone else need, need, you know need, needs to sort of uh, be doing this as, a, as their day job to sort mm. of help mm. kind of keep things going um, so we uh, we look for funding but again I mean, we we found we came up against all the barriers that immersive work does you know it's <laughs> it's hard to find funding when you fall through the gaps in the yep. in the cultural sort of boxes yeah um and it's hard to get private funding without proving the worth of the of of, of what you're doing yeah. um and you know what's the size of your market by the way we need we need the money to show you the size of the market yeah you know, it's, it's a it's, horrible cash trade exactly yeah. Yeah, we yeah. want a box that that's that's yeah. in some ways the distil- distillation of our aim isn't it it's like we want a cultural box to be ticked yes we need some the money to make the box yeah, we, <laughs> we want the money yeah. to be a box yeah. so um so so <laughs> What we've decided to do is um, we're going to run like a crowdfunder campaign in uh, November, which we want to use to underwrite the first six months worth of work in 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, And off the back of that, uh, if we can, if we can prove this works and we can prove people want it and if people, you know, sort of there's a desire for it, um, they will then launch as a membership organisation sort of towards the end of 2023. along with hopefully some other sort of external funding that will sort of help make the whole thing sort of sustainable as an ongoing piece of work. Mm. Um, but the crowdfunding is a great way we think of proving, or well, it's, it's a way of us finding out. It's that it goes back to that lean startup thing. Test the idea. If people want it, will, will they help us make it happen? Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what we're sort of trying to sort of test out. Um, so in the first six months, we want to run um, the huddles and see if that works, see if that's the thing people want to do, see if we can make that make that a thing. Um, and then we want to sort of start to commission some of this research and start to publish some of this research. Um, and there and is funding in place for that already, the research side of it. Some of it, yeah. So yeah. there is funding in place at the moment for five data sets, effectively. Yeah, which will all come together to be One the first report. report. The first yeah. report. Yes. And yep. we're currently working on a £100,000 application, which is due on the 4th of November, so really soon, um, to do an audience report and to get a bit more of that sort of empirically, mm. empirical data down. But again, it's research funding, which means it's, it's just competitive, if not more, than ACE funding, so we might not get it. If we get it, great. If not, then we'll be relying yep. on other means... But we're sort of tackling it from all sorts of different angles as well. Yes. You know, like there are some academic research pots we're going after, which is great. Yeah. We've also got, you know, we think there's a massive argument here for actually, you know, the the commercial companies in the sector to come together. Because mm. if, if sort of five or six of those came together, we could do a really good piece of uh, work on audience research with some market research firms that we're sort of in touch with yes. that would give us data and give us some stuff which actually be useful for everyone. Um, and especially useful for them, we think, as well. Um, so we've got various ways to approach it, but there'll be uh, stuff on the website, um, the crowdfunding campaign will launch in November, and then depending on how much we raise will be depending on what we do in the first six months. And that's what we're hoping will be the foundation then for this moving forward. Yeah. I think it's quite important to say that one of the amazing things about this sector is that many people here have you know, sailed their own ships, been self-taught, been self-sufficient, and I think, you know, a network that represents that in the first instance, if we're not getting the funding, it's not something we should sit around and wait for. Mm-hmm. And I'd really invite people to, you know, come on board and be self-sufficient 
and make us sustainable in the way that we've done with our own projects um, yes. and hopefully yeah. then fast track us to being like a thriving and more sustainable community yeah. in the long run. Because the thing about the research potential grants, you know, one, there's a chance we won't get them, but also the endeavour, the work that goes into those, that's not a sustainable way to do this every year. Mm. So we can, if we get them, great, they, they can kind of launch us on our way. But Sheena's exactly right. As it moves forward, you know, the amount of time that Nicole and I spend on putting in applications and then it might not be successful is extraordinary. And so I do think... And that's another six months that potentially we don't have those we reports don't have in our hands. In those reports, which means exactly, we can't yeah. take it, um, you know, for our own projects. Yeah, right? scholarship is slow. It's really slow. And so I think the more the community can come together to start to build this, so that it becomes self-sustainable, then when we do win these things, it's a cherry on the top. It's additional. We can do more exciting things with what we've got coming mm. in. So I think yes, we're doing all of this endeavour to sort of try and kickstart things going. But moving forwards, it, it's got to be the community coming mm. together and supporting and building building it for themselves, which, like you said, is, is, is what we're used to doing. Well, it's just a jump start, really, I think. Yeah. And if that jump start then, you know, again, proves the value of this industry, there will be other routes to finance. But at the moment, yeah, if course. we're hitting a wall, we shouldn't just wait around, right? No, mm. no, absolutely. Mm. And I think one of the things we are good at is, like you said, being resourceful, being self-sufficient, because we have had to be. And that's how we get exciting stuff done yeah everybody who makes work that calls itself immersive at the moment is in is a pioneer Mm -hmm. yeah the industry is at that earlier stage yeah and this is i think an opportunity uh if you are somebody who is starting or running an immersive company of any scale to put yourself in the history books Mm. as a pioneer Mm. you know be part of uh, making something that lasts a long time. Yeah. Imagine what it would have been like to be back in the 1910s, 1920s, mm. involved at the very start of Hollywood. Metropolis. Metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the very amongst the very first filmmakers. Uh, this industry has only really been able to call itself an industry for a very short period of time. Very short, yeah. So to be amongst that number... Even with a very small little outfit doing, sh- you know, little shows somewhere, and you don't think anyone's ever really noticed you, this is the time to mm. be noticed and to do so together as a community. Um, and I think if we all just sort of sit on our own, in our own little um, basements Silos, that we've yeah. conned out of some <laughs> some property developer <laughs> making our little work on our own, fine, we can do that. Um, but if we all come together periodically, share our knowledge, share our expertise, pool our resources to some extent to, 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 to carve out a place in the world for this sort of work yeah. in a more substantial way, then, well, we would have done a good thing. Yeah. I think that's, that's very beautifully put. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and very inspiring. That, that's the thing. All of us sat in this room are part of the community yeah. that we're talking to and we yeah. really want to help to build something mm. that has a future and yes. that will be remembered yes. in the future. And that will be documented by academics. Yeah. You know, when they write the books about us in mm-hmm. 50 years' time, 
That's what I can. Yeah. Well, you're right because you've got you've already been got been out in January. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but like there, there is a lot of space for pioneers. The best yes. immersive work has not been made yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And it probably won't be for at least another decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have. It's the moment, isn't it, where the community have the power to decide what that community is going to look like yes. and feel like and what its future and will I'll be. And I'll tell you what, I don't Rather want, than outside forces. I don't want a community that is like the current theatre community, which is what I've come out mm. of. Um, something that we immersive theatre makers, I think, will all feel similarly about is the snobbery that is thrown at us mm-hmm. from... The theatre establishment. Proper theatre, as proper, I get from my streets all the time. Theater. This isn't proper yeah, theatre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that snobbery comes through Arts Council rejections, yes, yeah. it comes through Twitter pylons, it comes through... It comes through nose to venue yeah, space. Yeah, and it comes from people just, just turning their nose up at your advertising and Ooh. critics questioning the validity of what you're doing like not not even just whether gimmick. or not it was any gimmick-y, good or whether it's gimmick-y. valid it's exactly. just a little gimmick that's going to be a flash in the pan absolutely yeah. but it has history yeah. it goes all the way back to Dionysus yeah um, yeah. yeah for sure <laughs> so you know that that I think uh, one of the things that's been bothering me of late is is how uh, actors who specialise in immersive theatre are treated oh. by our own industry but yes. also by the yeah. conventional theatre industry yes. there seems to be no no comfortable place for actors who are specialists in no. uh, immersive work because uh, there is a, there's a snobbery that comes from conventional theatre. It's not proper acting, is it? Mm-hmm. And also immersive makers who are paying minimum wage and giving no you know respect to what, what, what mm-hmm. people with some real skills can do. Basically just saying, learn that and do it exactly like that every time. Well, it's such a different prospect to standing, <sighs> pretending the audience aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's an internal inward craft, yeah. that classical acting. Yeah. The prospect of immersive is you have to be really great at that yeah. and a whole load of other shit on top yeah. of it. Your co-creator of the show. Yeah. yeah, always. So, so often, always. yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's maybe, that is something I think IEN can help yes. address in the future. Yeah. Is, you know, there is a need for immersive theatre training. Immersive performance training because it's not just within the theatre. Yeah, you know. This is the thing. There's so many different cogs and wheels and things going on in the background. And if you are doing something and you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Oh my God, I'm doing this," get in touch. And I think hopefully what I, what I hope this discussion has shown is that everyone who's involved at the heart of IEN is someone who is involved in the sector and someone who cares. And what we really want to do is build something that serves the community and is made in and of the community and responds to the community mm. because that that is something that's really powerful and something that we really believe in. And so if you are out there, been toiling away, trying to get something done that really aligns with what it is that we're doing, you know, as well, sign up on the mailing list, get in touch, reach out mm. to one of us because the, the, the more we come together, the stronger that we are. Mm. And I think we do need to come together and be sustainable and sort of put our money where our mouth is if we're mm. able to do that to help build something powerful. Yes. And if we if we miss something, if we've got something wrong. Tell that, us. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the only non negotiable thing here is that we all move forward together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got to be a community and it's got to be a broad community that encompasses yeah. all of these different 
fringe elements of different disciplines. Inclusive. It's got to be it's inclusive. Got to be inclusive. But I think that's the only non-negotiable thing really with this. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, you know, we we want it to be what people need and want. Yeah, and that involves you telling us in, in a lot of ways. So, the two, the three big bits of work we're doing: so the crowdfunding, go and have a look and get involved, or rally other people if you know other people that should be looking at it and getting involved. Sign up so that once you're on the mailing list, you can find out about things and you'll know when the app goes live. Um, and we really need as many participants to take part in the research and the surveys so that we can get as much and broad a breadth of data as possible. So the reality is, is get in touch, get signed up so that ev- so you're there, you're part of it and you know what's happening because we've got all of that coming. Also, it's always a bit of a thing that we, we have the best intentions to do, but don't. Please follow our social handles. Does anyone yes. know what our handles are? <laughs> That's a really good point. Yes. That is a really good point. I can what post them in yeah. the little description box with it as well, because I think we've, we've definitely got a hashtag on our well, No, no, there's definitely an <laughs> Instagram yeah. handle and a Twitter is, handle, yes. but on, I just don't know what they are. On no, Twitter, <laughs> we're at ImmersiveXNet. On Instagram, we're at Immersive Experience Net, and the website is immersiveexperience.network. <laughs> and I will put all of those different links into the description box so that you can all click into them and, and access it all very quickly and very swiftly. But the reality is, is let's show the cultural sector who we are and what we're doing. And the best way to do that is we gather all together. And so Keep an eye on what we're, what's coming up on the website. Keep an eye on the socials. And we are just doing our best to build as much momentum as possible and to bring as many people out there who feel that they're part of this community into being that community so that we can build this and move forward in dialogue together. Because we, we don't want to be toiling away doing something you don't want to do. <laughs> that is not in anyone's interest. We don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that at all. So you, you need, if you want to be involved to get signed up, to reach out, to speak to us, to communicate with us, because all of this is being done for that community that's out there. And I think that's the key message, really, is to be able to have that. I think that's quite a nice place, actually, for us to start to close. Did anyone else want to kind of add anything into that? Or is there anything we've missed talking about? I hope not. (laughs) I mean, there's a crazy idea for a festival, but check out the website. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was like, do we, do we dig into the idea that we Stretch have goals, m- stretch goals. We yeah. have massive <laughs> ambitions to do a really, really sexy, massive uh, uh, festival. So if you want that to happen. It's, it's a moonshot. Check out the website for more information. Yes. And also, if you've got exciting stuff happening that you'd like us to share and transmit, we can do that on our socials as well. We really, really want to raise the profile of great work that's out there. So if you are making work, let us know and we can tell other people that you're making work and share all of those things. So please do have a look at the website. I'll put all the details so that you can access it. Get in touch, get signed up and get registered because we will be stronger together. And so if you're part of this community, put your hand up and show us basically by signing up and keeping up with what it is that we are doing because everything we're doing is is for you <laughs> i know i have lots of people who listen um internationally as well and we, we want to hear from you too because we have very ambitious research funding application plans for 2024 that require lots of international partners so don't be shy if you're international 
reach out to us because once we have UK domination, we, we, we have ambitions for going global. So don't feel left out just because you're not in the UK. Because <laughs> I know that there's lots of you who listen. So reach out to us and become part of this community because we are stronger together. And although we're UK based, the long and short of it is the immersive community is global. And so, you know, we're, we're a very, very large and uh, global family. So please do reach out. Does anyone else? want to say okay well in that case then um uh we will get on with some of that busy work behind the scenes after we finish talking and i will share all of those details so that you can find out what it is that we're doing but the best way is to go on the website have a look at that and keep an eye on our socials because we are very loud at the moment with all the different stuff that we're doing so thank you very much everyone for joining me i know you're all super super busy so it's actually really rare that we get into a physical room together yeah. we usually do this over Zoom, and here's where the confusion comes. We are actually recording today on a Zoom, but we are normally on Zoom in little boxes. So it's rather lovely to actually be in a in space, to, in yeah, a space yeah. together with legs. Yeah. It's yes, very exciting. Go. So thank you all for joining me. I know you're all super busy, and thank you very much for everyone who's listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. It has been a real pleasure to be able to bring this conversation to you, to give you an idea of all of those things that have been eating up all of my time and my energy behind the scenes. But hopefully now you've got a sense of sort of what's been happening and the magnitude of uh, everything that's to come. So I'm really, 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 really pleased to be able to bring this to you finally. Um, The other thing that I have as well is now rather a large queue of extremely wonderful practitioners who would like to talk to me about the work that they make. And I'm also wanting to get to see the work that they make as well. But as ever with me, it is time and capacity of working my way through those things. So rest assured, there are lots and lots of very, very interesting conversations on the horizon as and when I can sort of slip and fit those things in. Um, If you're someone who is listening and you know you're one of those people that you've reached out to me and would like to talk to me, please do rest assured you are very much on my mind and I will be back in touch with you as soon as I have a little bit of time and a little bit of space to do that because I really want to be able to bring all these exciting conversations to the the series. Um, As ever, uh, please do reach out if you're somebody you think I should be talking to. But also um, do let me know if there's work that's going on that you think I should be seeing. Or if you're someone who just listens and really enjoys this kind of performance making, I would love to hear from you too, just to hear your thoughts, where you're listening, why you're listening, and what it is that you love about this kind of audience-centric approach to performance making. Um, I don't know when the next conversation will come out, but I am trying very much to get one a month out to you at the moment. Um, So I'm working my way through doing that. And as I said, there's quite a few really exciting conversations on the horizon. Um, My book is fast heading towards publication as well. And I shall let you know, I mean, it is on pre-sale, so you can get it in all kinds of places, but um, I'm hoping there'll be some extracts and some ways of accessing that that I can share with you as well. I will put all of the socials that I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode in the text box as well with all the hashtags so that everybody can find all those different things. Um, And until next time, 
have a lovely autumn slash heading into winter. Although actually for lots of the listeners, it's not autumn or winter at all because I've got all of you wonderful people listening all across the globe. So for some of you, it's probably actually the height of your summer. So if it is, hurrah, <laughs> get your toes in the sand and get salty lips and enjoy yourself in the sunshine. If you are like me in the UK, um, get your thick coats out and your jumpers and and head down and, and trudge through the drizzle to work. But that, that's not a great way to finish the episode, is it? So um Look forward to all of the amazing and exciting things that are coming up on the podcast series. But also, I would strongly encourage you, if you are a maker, whether you're based here in the UK or abroad, get onto uh, Immersive Experience Network's website, get signed up so that you have access to all of these things as and when they're happening so that you don't miss a thing. So until next time, bye.